And so that's what I do now as a dietitian. I've kind of evolved and started my own private practice with kind of that base. And um, we'll talk about it. my philosophy, like you said, a little bit more. But for me, I just found that, oh my gosh, there, there's got to be another way than this one size fits all cookie mm-hmm. cutter meal plan. You know, there's a lot of research out there. We know that 75% of all diets or you're not, sorry, 95% of all diets fail. Right. right. And, um, right. I think it's because we go against, go against our intuition and what we feel is right. This episode of the smart athlete podcast is brought to you by Solpre skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to soulpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is the host of the Fit Friends Happy Hour Podcast, so you've got plenty of content to listen to her um, after this episode. Um, she's a registered dietitian nutritionist, which I'm going to ask about clarification on what that is here in a second. And she's a certified personal trainer and fitness instructor. Welcome to the show, Katie Haig. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time we decided it is. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, crossing time zones, it's always like, uh, what time is it for everybody? Um, Do you have people on your podcast very often? I know I listened to one episode you had a guest on, but it seems like a lot of episodes are by you. Do you have to, do you have people on very often? Yeah, we do. We do a combination of both. So I typically bring on experts in both nutrition, fitness, a little bit of lifestyle, kind of a combination of things. Mm-hmm. I, I, what's the biggest like time zone gap you've had to deal with so far? Probably Pacific, Pacific okay. time. I, I, I work with a lot of people over in California, so that can get like, for example, this evening I have a call at 9 PM and mm-hmm. I'm like, it's so late for me, but you know, that's the work. That's the end of the work day for a lot of people yeah. on the West coast. So yeah, that's not too bad. I've had a few people in Europe, so we've had like eight or nine hours between us. So like I'm getting up and recording at, I don't know, six, seven in the morning. And then it's like five, six o'clock for them. <laughs> We're just like trying to figure out the best way to, to make it happen. So yeah. a couple of Europeans and then also one um, one lady who just happened to be in Europe for the summer. And it's, it's kind of an interesting, I'll call it a profession, but it's kind of an interesting um, hobby profession when you're trying to schedule with people like around the globe. Right. Not, not most, most areas have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless you're like really high, like business, like international business or something. Um, so I do want to ask about your credentials and clarification on this. I, I know what a registered dietitian is and I've met nutritionists. What is a registered dietitian nutritionist? I, I don't think I've seen that all put together before. Yeah. So everybody, pretty much anybody can call them. You could call yourself a nutritionist, right? Anybody can, you know, take a course online or, you know, read a couple books and, and declare themselves as a nutritionist. But so, so every dietitian is a nutritionist, but every nutritionist is not a dietitian. So the biggest difference is that um, in order to become a registered dietitian, you have to attend an undergraduate program um, at an accredited school across the country or across the world mm-hmm. um, that specializes in kind of these different areas of nutrition. And then after that, you're able to apply for an internship program. So it's a matching program, you know, almost like how doctors apply to to med school. It, mm-hmm. It's kind of the same idea. You get accepted into this this program um, where you complete typically around 1,200 hours in all these different areas of nutrition. So 
community nutrition, clinical nutrition in a hospital type setting. Um, sometimes you're working in, in food, in like food service, like in schools or restaurants, um, and then kind of an area of expertise that, that you are passionate, passionate about or you care about. Um, so after you complete all that, you do all your coursework, then you're eligible to sit for the national exam. So um, mm-hmm. it's by the, uh, the CDR, I always mess this up, <laughs> the Commission <laughs> of Dietetic Registration. So kind of this big overarching um, organization. So you're then you're able to actually apply and, and sit for your exam to become a registered dietitian. Now, in addition to that, a lot of different states kind of have their own rules. So I'm also considered a licensed dietitian. So for at least in the state of Indiana, in order to practice, you know, and prescribe nutrition, um, you know, almost like medical management, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I work with a lot of people who have tube feedings or, you know, uh, another area I work in is with children and adults who have these kind of inborn errors of metabolism and and Mm -hmm. can only, you know, have to follow very specific diets or they could die. (laughs) I mean, like that's extreme, but, um, so then you have to take your kind of get licensed in the state that you're in. So there's a lot more steps and, and kind of, um, continuing education and things like that to be, to be a registered dietitian compared to just a nutritionist. So that was a long winded answer of a difference. No, 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 that's, that's okay. Um, so here's my kind of point of clarification, I guess, is that, um, can anybody who's a registered dietitian, cause they use the label dietitian nutritionist, Correct. That is okay. that is something that's a little bit newer in our field. Um, registered dietitian or registered dietitian nutritionist, the two gonna kind of get used hand in hand because you know we found that in the industry there's so many people using nutritionists. So um, we kind of have the option to add that on the end to okay. kind of clarify to the public, hey, I'm I'm a nutritionist, but I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, right? Like I'm okay. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, it's more. I'll I'll call it a more of a marketing thing. That's not in, in in like a superfluous sense, but in like a clarification sense of like, hey, this is what I do. So people aren't confused about what your job actually is. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. That's why I was like, I didn't know if there was like like a subspecialty within being a dietitian that somehow added that label. That's kind of what I was after. I was just like, I don't yeah. know. If you were like, oh, yeah, I specialized in such and such. And then because, you know, just like and I don't know, I'm going to butcher this, but there's, you know, varying degrees of nurses, you know, uh, like kind of base nurse. And there's the nurse anesthetist and there's like all these different like subspecialties of nursing. I didn't know if it was like that. Yeah, yeah, there, there are different areas, specialties and kind of um, additional certifications that you can get as a dietitian, uh, but that term, yeah, RD or RDN, those two are used interchangeably. Okay, okay. Um, so I kind of want to get a little bit more background on you. I listened to a few of your podcasts, kind of went through some of your blog posts, to try to get a little bit better feel for who you are and a little bit of your background. Um, and we're going to get into your philosophy here in a minute because I, I like that, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your history in exercising? I, I know you mentioned at some point in something I listened to about um, having a history of where you kind of also prescribed like the over-exercising, possibly under-eating kind of mentality. Um, can you like, give us a background on like how you got to that point and then your kind of journey from there forward? Yeah, absolutely. So 
So for me, you know, when I, I went and did my undergrad in um, both dietetics and nutrition, fitness, and health, because at the time, you know, in high school, they always ask you, you know, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? What are you good at? You yeah, know? Which is and a I, dumb question for high schoolers. And right. <laughs> so for me, all I knew, I, I knew that, okay, well, I really like to exercise. I guess I consider myself good at exercise, if that's even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like food. So well, I guess if I'm going to be a, in my mind, you know, I was just going to be a personal trainer and I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I should probably know a little bit about this food piece because the two really go hand in hand. And, um, you know, I think looking back, if I knew how much chemistry was involved in, in nutrition, I probably would have backed out sooner, but, uh, luckily I stuck with it. And so, um, for me, my, my story, I guess, really began, you know, in my undergraduate, I w- was personal training and teaching group fitness, um, in college and, at the same time, right, taking these nutrition courses. And mm-hmm. I, I spent a semester actually studying abroad in Australia. And during that time, you know, I, I had this, you know, I was eating out all the time. I just turned 21, you know, found alcohol and, you know, <laughs> out partying and still finding myself like, oh my gosh, I'm eating so much. And, and I was trying to compensate by, you know, exercising, once, twice, you know, multiple times during the day, mm-hmm. really conscious. And, and this kind of, I think, came back with me when I came back from Australia, because then I kind of realized, oh, gosh, I'm back to real life. You know, I've gained all this weight. Oh, my gosh, I must have to just keep punishing myself by eating less and exercising more. And um, I got to this point where I was just feeling really burnt out, right, teaching multiple group fitness classes a week, spending so much time in the gym, counting calories, all these different things. And I just got exhausted and was like, I don't, I don't have time for this. Like there's gotta be another yeah. way, you know, I don't have time and I have energy. I don't feel good. And so I kind of on my own, just through, you know, listening to podcasts and just getting more in tune with my body and just taking what I've learned from these nutrition courses and asking myself, you know, what, what feels good, what feels right to me in regards to both exercise and nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of did what, what we now call intuitive eating. And at the time I didn't really realize that's what it was. Um, but now looking back, I can identify, wow, I was definitely addicted to exercise, you know, using exercise as a punishment, you know, saying no to, to social settings or going out, you know, making these decisions around food and exercise, not from a healthy space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, and so that's what I do now as a dietitian. I've kind of evolved and started my own private practice with kind of that base. And um, we'll, we'll talk about it. my philosophy, like you said, a little bit more. But for me, I just found that, oh, my gosh, there, there's got to be another way than this one size fits all cookie mm-hmm. cutter meal plan. You know, there's a lot of research out there. We know that 75 percent of all diets or you're not sorry, 95 percent of all diets fail. Right. right. And um right. I think it's because we go against go against our intuition and what we feel is right. Yeah, it, it, you know, you're talking about overexercising, kind of being addicted to exercise, and sometimes I know, um, especially. So I come from an endurance background. I was a runner and then transitioned to triathlon post college, and it's a very like hours intensive sport, um, which I think. Not always, and I don't even know about often, but can certainly hide the people that do want to overexercise, like are exercising way more than they need for their particular fitness level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of I'm curious if you have insights and in, in 
how you would identify somebody like that, both, you know, externally. So say I'm looking at a crowd, you know, of people, how do I identify? And then internally, what are some kind of like self checks, you know, somebody might have to figure out if they fall into that group? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I can definitely identify that as well with, you know, kind of when I was in that, that, um, I guess you could say peak almost of, of that exercise addiction mm-hmm. was I was training for multiple, you know, half marathons and, um, ran a full marathon. And, but I think it comes back to not so much, you know, the hours that you're, you're spending the gym or training because like completing, you know, triathlon or an endurance event, that's an awesome feat. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and yes, it does require hours of training, but so I think it really comes down to, you know, for the, for the internal, what's your motivation? Like Mm -hmm. what, what is your why behind doing what you're doing? Are you, you know, are you training for this event because you want to challenge yourself physically? You want to challenge yourself mentally, or is it because, well, I'm just going to do this as a, um, almost like you said, a cover up, uh, Mm -hmm. because I really want to lose weight or I really want to, you know, block out whatever it else it is that, that is kind of, um, motivating that, that drive. Um, right. from, from an external perspective, you know, I, I think about this all the time when I have people in my group fitness classes, you know, things to kind of look out for is it somebody who's taking multiple classes in a day, you mm. know, are they, um, you know, I think talking about eating disorders, that's, that could be a whole nother topic, but you right. You know, it, do you, what is this person? You, you definitely cannot judge an eating disorder from, the outside, you know, I think body mm-hmm. type is not just the only sign of an eating yeah. disorder, but you know, is this person in the gym multiple times a day? I remember many times in, um, working in, in my gyms in an undergrad, we would almost have to look out for certain students because students are in a high stress environment and, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're kind of, I guess it could be a higher risk of, you know, we'd have girls who'd be on the elliptical for two hours a day in the morning and then come back in the evening for two hours in the night. Right. Um, so externally, is this person always getting injured? Are they, you can just tell, you know, and just by talking to them, what's, what's the language that they're using? Are they saying, you know, I've got to exercise because of what I ate or because of a certain body type, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it, it becomes more of like a, a, um, a determination of motivation. I know often when I speak to kind of high level athletes, both amateurs and professionals, often the thread that runs through them is I do this because it's fun. And then kind of one of the most like enlightening thoughts I had with a gentleman I spoke to early on in the podcast, his name is Chris Douglas. I think it's episode six. Um, he said, telling me the story about when he, he raced so hard, he basically passed out from heat exhaustion a mile from the finish and like almost died Mm -hmm. kind of learned from that lesson. Like I do it because I have fun and I get to decide how like hard or easy I go each day. Mm -hmm. So like, that seems like an okay mentality, but I can certainly understand there's also the mentality, especially in the endurance community that more is better, which isn't necessarily the case. Right. And I think that can lead you kind of down that rabbit hole or coincide with that unhealthy idea about, you know, exercise is punishment and I need to do it because I'm not good enough or I need to look thinner or whatever, you know, whatever kind of like toxic mentality is going on. 
another great question someone could ask themselves is, you know, if if something happened, if something came up, let's say a friend asked me to, you know, help them out or be with them in a tough moment. If something happened that interrupted my my exercise routine, how would that make me feel? Would I be able to brush it off and pick back up the next day, you know, and not worry about mm -hmm. it? Or I do do I get consumed by do I do I feel anxious? Do I feel, you know, this mm -hmm this almost like internal, um, you know, negative, like you said, like toxic mentality or, or, um, dialogue in my head about, oh no, I'm going to gain weight or blah, blah, blah. This is going to happen mm -hmm. if I don't get my exercise in, because that, that was something that was for me. If I, if I couldn't get in a full 60 minutes or if I couldn't get in, you know, this burn this many calories that would really mess with my mind. And I would, I would think about that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think that's another sign of, you're probably not in the right brain space um, with yeah. exercise. Yeah. Well, this is something I kind of, I, I, I spoke to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with her. I spoke with Nancy Clark last week who. Oh, she's a God in the, yeah. in the sports nutrition <laughs> industry. <laughs> yeah. So I spoke with her last week. We talked a lot about her book. Um, and I, I have asked, it, I have it right on my desk over here. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I still got it on my desk. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my desk is an absolute mess here. Just that's how my brain space is. I have just piles of things. Um, but I asked her, you know, did you expect to need like a psychology degree when you went into this profession? And that really seems to be kind of what's going on. So I guess I'll ask you the same thing. Like, did you expect so much to deal with people's mentalities going into it? No, I didn't because in my undergrad, you know, we're, we're learning a lot of science and just the, these are the facts about nutrition and, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. And it really wasn't until I actually took a course. It is now required in the program that um, I completed, but at the time I just took it as an elective. I just had, you know, extra room in my schedule. It was a nutrition counseling course. And I think for me, that was really a light bulb moment of we're dealing with people and, and humans and relationships. And it's so much more complex for many people, um, at least the population that I work with. If It's not just as simple as eat this, not that. You know, there's a lot that goes on around food. It's something that we do every single day. Um, you know, whether we want to or not, we it's something we, we all have to deal with in order mm -hmm. to live. And um, I think as humans, it, it, there's just so much more complexity behind it that influences the choices that we make or do not make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to read, I, I think this is a, I think this is a quote I pulled off of your website. So kind of leads into your philosophy. I think it, correct me if this is not a quote, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. I put it in quotations. Uh, Stop chasing the numbers and do what feels good for you, not because you have to find joy in movement and learn why all foods fit. I think that kind of like, summarizes your philosophy. So can you share a little bit about how your approach to, you know, like diet, well, even though that's, that's a loaded term, I feel like nowadays, <laughs> um, diet, eating, how that varies from kind of more traditional view. Yeah, it, it's kind of yeah, ironic, you know, I'm a diet, diet, the word diet is in my uh, title, dietitian, mm -hmm. but I almost consider myself a non-diet <laughs> dietitian. So right. I, you know, whenever I'm working with clients, I always get, I get a lot of, um, people who reach out to me with weight loss as a goal, you know, 
And I kind of give them a disclaimer right up front is that, you know, I'm not just going to give you a meal plan and say, good luck, goodbye. Because from my experience, the, you know, you're smart. Most of the people who contact me, I shouldn't say most, all of them are smart. You know, you, we all have the internet now, right? So mm -hmm. we can go online and, and we can find a, you know, 1200 calorie program or whatever it is in this little cookie cutter um, plans, but, but that doesn't address the bigger issue. Right. And so I work with a lot of people more so on how do we, how do we fix the relationship with food? How do we fix the way, you know, you talk to yourself around food and how is that influencing um, the choices that, that you make, whether it's the types of foods, the amounts of foods. Um, you know, I'm a really a firm believer that at the end of the day, you or, you know, the individual knows their body best. And yes, I can guide you and, and help you answer questions and, and facts about nutrition, but you are going to know your body best. And so I really help people to um, tune in to that internal wisdom that they have about mm -hmm. what their body needs. And I think so, especially with athletes, that can get so distorted <laughs> mm -hmm. with with all you know the messaging that we hear but also just there's a lot going on you know how do I how do I feel my body in a way that feels best when I've got all these different things to train for and this crazy schedule and how do I make that all fit mm -hmm. well how does that how does that like progression go because I know um so as a as a non-diet example i'm a big fan of rpe which is rate of perceived exertion yeah. um when Love you're that. training for run schedules um, because then you're forced to figure out how's my body feel today and mm -hmm. it, it kind of tunes you in a little bit more to your fatigue levels versus just saying i'm just gonna listen to my heart rate or i'm just gonna you know do power or whatever it is this external measure um so I know a little bit about training people for, for RPE, but I also know like my college roommate just seemed, I'll say dead to the world, but he's a very, very intelligent man. Um, he just finished his boards to, to be a doctor, but he just has the hardest time like feeling out his pace and feel mm. like, like he relies so heavily on these things. I know it would be a struggle to get him to like RPE only. So how, like, how does the progression work for you where you have somebody kind of similar to my friend who says like, I don't know what's intuitive. Like I, I only love pizza. Uh, yeah. Pizza makes me feel good. You know, how do you get them from there to something where they can actually listen to, you know, what their body's telling them? Right. That's, that is a perfect example. And I almost compare a lot of what I do you know, I get somebody on the phone talking about nutrition. I say, I, I do very similar to what I would do with the personal trainer, right? Mm -hmm. You meet with a personal trainer, they take you through a workout, they may teach you how to squat, but it isn't until, you know, you work with that trainer regularly and you develop not just, you know, you understand your form and technique, but you know, the why behind it, mm -hmm. why, or you, you start to understand a little bit more. Why is it that I can't stay motivated? You know, until you really develop, not just the strength, but the skills, the habits, the behaviors, mm -hmm. that's when the change occurs. So, um, same with my clients, you know, the, the journey, I guess you can say looks a little bit different for everybody, mm -hmm. um, you know, based on kind of their history and, you know, all the things that they've experienced in their own life 
that have influenced the the beliefs and values that they have where they are today. Um, and we get a really clear, clear idea of where they want to be kind of in the future. Um, so what the journey looks like, gosh, it's, you know, helping people to think a big one, uh, especially with the, the females that I work with is that they just don't aren't eating enough, you mm-hmm. know? So, so starting with how can I just start to trust my body? How can I start to just identify what my body's feeling, whether it's hunger, fullness, whether it's, you know, just like your friend, you know, getting in tune with what does my body feel after a tough workout? Mm-hmm. You know, do I even know the difference of what it's like to push myself, you know, on a, on a five compared to a 10, you know, mm-hmm. what does that feel like? And, um, so we do a lot of just almost exploration, you know, it's a lot of me asking the questions that a lot of times we just don't take time to sit down and think about, especially with foods. It's so often it's just, we eat what's there, what's available. Mm-hmm. We don't, sometimes we don't chew <laughs> It's just whatever we can get our hands on and then we're on to the next thing. Yeah. So do you think it's a matter of practice? Like, is there hope for everybody? I guess is what I'm asking. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I believe that it's, there's definitely hope for everybody. And, um, even just from the, the clients I've worked with, I have had some people that it, it clicks fast and they, mm-hmm. they're easy to make that mindset shift around food. And, you know, maybe even just after a couple sessions, they go, okay, I get this. This makes sense. I get it. And I'm practicing it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas I have others that they've just, you know, they've dieted their whole lives or they've, you know, are so hung up on this weight loss or, you know, whatever it is that the the goal is, or Mm -hmm. a lot of those beliefs are so ingrained in them that it takes a little bit longer. Like you said, a little bit more practice, a little bit more training on, on the, the, thoughts we have and, and whatnot mm-hmm. in order to get to that, the other side or that mental shift. Cause that's really what it comes down to is, is the mentality behind food. Right. It sounds like you, like I always have problems with this in the sense of like, I'm a very motivated person and I want others to be very motivated too. Like, <laughs> like you can't motivate somebody else. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I liken it to um, I, in the very first episode when I had my coach on, we talked about motivation I liken it to starting a fire. Like you can't start the fire in somebody else. You can, you can encourage the fire. You can help build it, but you can't start it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it sounds like sometimes, you know, people come to you, they've started the fire, but it's very, very low. And it's almost like almost to the point where it can go out. And mm-hmm. like your job is more to get rid of those mental scripts to get them to buy into your program mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than it is anything else. And, and I resonate with that so much. And that was so hard for me when I first started working in the field, because like with personal training clients, I just want you to push yourself harder. Like I personally, as a professional took on so much of that, um, like almost like guilt and why, Mm -hmm. why can't they just do it? Why aren't they seeing the results? And, you know, as fitness professionals, like we're really excited and passionate and motivated about what we do. But like you said, we can't change people at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. They've got to work through it themselves and and they've got to, like you said, start the fire and keep the fire burning. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's part of why I took this 
this kind of countercultural um, approach and what I do with with training and nutrition because that side wasn't working, at least for me and for my clients. It just, mm-hmm. I, I don't have enough energy, you know, I think as professionals and just individuals, we have to learn how to protect our own energy mm-hmm. when it comes to helping others and um, working in in a profession where you're serving others, mm-hmm. um, putting up those own boundaries, but but still being able to help others, right? And recognizing I can't change people. So I've got to take a different approach. Yeah. I think you actually uh, have a blog post kind of about this. Self-care is not a luxury. And yes, I love along that, that line, it's like you have to love yourself before you can love others. Like if you don't take care of yourself, you don't have the ability to serve others to your full capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Especially in this go, go, go. Yeah. Like, time and culture and environment yeah yeah it's all about the hustle and it's like no do less (laughs) yeah well or do it smart like i think hustle is okay i mean as an entrepreneur that's a message i get a lot from certain individuals is that all you need is hustle and you'll succeed it's like okay that's true but i i in some sense like if you continue you continue forward no matter what like you're probably going to succeed but at the same time I think people have varying degrees of internal energy and mm-hmm. somebody who can go say they can operate on four hours of sleep at night, not that it's healthy, but say that they can do it. I can't do that. Like I just, I never have been able to, you know, going back to middle school, I had a friend, I'd spend the weekends with him. He'd be up till two, three in the morning. If I made it past midnight, I was doing good. Like I would just pass <laughs> out. It, it, it was like I wanted to stay up, but I couldn't. So I, I, right. I think trying to subscribe to this like one size fits all hustle mentality or whatever, like more work is better is not necessarily the best approach. And unfortunately, I think it comes back to it depends on you individually what you need to do to get the most you can accomplish. <laughs> Yeah. And talking about self-care, you know, like you said, self-care is not a luxury, right? I I think we hear so many people say, oh, oh, I wish I could train for something, you know, or I wish I could sleep more or, you know, we've all got our own excuses. Like you said, Mm -hmm. we've we've all got so many hours in a day, but it's a matter of what are you doing with those hours and how are you going to prioritize? You know, you have to learn to prioritize these you know, maybe an hour, 10, 5, 10, 15 minutes throughout your day to focus on you, right? Mm-hmm. To to be a better friend, better spouse, better, you know, whatever it is, on you know, protecting that that own space of your own. Well, let's see what what's interesting too, at least I guess in my own my own personal life is like one of my initiatives this year is making more food at home. So like even like the snacks I have, which are obviously a, a food of convenience, mm-hmm. um I have a registered dietitian that works with me in the company and she makes recipes to kind of give out for free. And I use some of her recipes and kind of use some of the snacks that she's prescribed, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, just doing that, spending the extra time to, okay, let's get the food processor out and like make this and prep it for the next few days and eating those versus what I can buy from the store that really should be similar. I've noticed like, I have more energy. I feel better, which makes me more productive because I spent a little bit of time on something versus spending the money for the convenience. 
Yeah, that's a perfect example of, you know, honoring your your priorities in, in a sense of self-care, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're investing that time, even though it's not always easy, right? Like, right. Like, I don't want to do that on a Sunday, <laughs> but, but knowing, okay, if I do this now, this is going to make me, like you said, more productive, more energetic, more X, Y, Z positive for the rest of the week. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's this philosophy. I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this to Nancy and I think I mentioned it to a few people. It keeps coming up and maybe I'm just seeking validation as I keep mentioning this. I wish I knew what blogger to attribute this to because I've, who knows how many different things I've read at this point. <laughs> uh, but this person said um, that is philosophy of like, you can eat whatever you want as long as you make it. Mm. Thinking about basically like if you want an apple pie, you can eat an apple pie, but you have to bake the apple pie. You can't just go buy it. I think there's, like there's some inhibition there where it's like there's a lot of effort that goes into making an apple <laughs> pie. So like you'll probably slow down a little bit on some of the like less nutritious things because they are so involved. And then you'll probably still be hungry after you get done making it. You, you definitely would get a little bit more satisfaction, I think, from um, making the food. I always encourage that a lot, like with the kids I work with and the parents, you know, get the kids involved, right? Because kids, we are no different than kids. When we take the time to find a recipe, you know, buy the ingredients, make the ingredients, you know, put it all together. Have you ever made a dish and, and you're sharing it with somebody and you go, well, it's really not that bad. It, it's good, right? Like you are so proud of it that you're like, no, it tastes really good. And everybody else is like, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> but you have that pride because of the the time, the energy, the effort that it took for you to make it, that you get, yeah, you enjoy it a little more. Yeah. Well, I, so in, along with your philosophy, I kind of wonder if on a personal level for you, if taking this subjective approach is kind of a bit of like prescribing the art of living, which I don't know that we necessarily take as much time to do nowadays. Like I have a personal philosophy that there are three basic ingredients to a good life. Um, family, friends, and food. Mm, amen, if you amen. Have, if you have <laughs> those three ingredients in good proportion, then you have all you need for a good life. Everything beyond that is superfluous. And then it's easy if you get your friends and family together and have a meal, you have them all there together. Um, so just, you know, think about that subjective thing. I don't know if you prescribed that like art of living idea, but I think about it sometimes about not just how do I get more money? How do I buy a better house? How do I have a fancy car? But just like, how do I live my life well? Yeah, I resonate with that 100%. Um, I don't know how much you are into finance, but I, I love listening to like Dave Ramsey and um, the whole... I, I'm, I'm very I'm familiar with Ramsey, yeah. Yeah, I, the Rachel Cruz, I think it's his, his daughter. She, I heard something that she talked about once. So just about like learning to appreciate what you have, right? And and stop that comparing to others, right? Because at the end of the day, like you said, I think it comes down to the relationships we have and, you know, what we're doing to get the most out of this life versus focusing on all the, the extras that we could have. Can you just learn to appreciate what you do have and live in the moment and have a mindset of um, what's, you know, a mindset of abundance and not a mm-hmm. scarcity mindset. I think that it makes all the difference, whether in, in all the aspects of your life, right? Whether it's relationships or food or, you know, or exercise. 
Yeah, I'm I, I'm a big fan of the the abundance mentality, and I'll see. I I don't know how much time you spend on Reddit, but sometimes it can be a very negative place. <laughs> yes. Um, I kind of use it as a little bit of a barometer for how other people feel. Um, and, and there's often kind of like a backlash against this abundant abundance mentality. It's like, well, it's easy to have an abundance mentality when you already have enough. You know, this c- coming from people that are maybe struggling mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. And, you know, kind of see what you think about this. But my, my kind of counterexample to that would be, okay, maybe you don't have enough, but is having a scarcity mentality having a positive effect on you or is it affecting you negatively Mm. versus, you know, trying to have that abundance mentality where you, you know, maybe even naively believe there's enough, you know, say it's not true, which I do believe is true, but say it's not Mm -hmm. and there's not enough to go around. Does having the mentality that there is enough to go around and there's plenty to share, does that affect you more positively than, you know, having the scarcity? Like what is, what's more effective to you to live, even if it's not true? Uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's so much. And, and that almost ties into the nutrition work that I, that I do with clients is we work a lot on, you know, these foods that we almost like put off limits, right? Like the apple pie or the, everybody's got their thing, right? That we call almost like your guilty pleasure. Right. Um, You know, if I can remind myself and almost give myself this unconditional permission to eat these foods, what does that do for my mindset, right? Initially, what what our initial thought is, oh my gosh, I'm going to want it all the time. All day, all day, yeah. every day, right? Like I'm going to want the apple pie nonstop. But but if I just can remind myself that I can have this food anytime, right? That almost takes away some of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the urgency or the right. drive to have it all right now. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's going to be okay. I I can have it anytime. Mm-hmm. Is that like, is that like, that, like, um, that idea about I want what I can't have. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you say I absolutely cannot have it, then your mind fixates on it and is like, no, no, no. But then, then that's all you're thinking about It's instead of trying to think, okay, maybe I should have this or this or this instead. Right. Uh, so how does, um, as an example, I just bought an ice cream machine recently. Um, oh my gosh. Because what I love ice cream. ice cream machine. How? Like, so I, I, I bought one with a compressor, um, it's oh. the Cuisinart Ice 100. Um, <laughs> so, so I saved up, I saved up, I saved up my, I saved up my credit card points and used my credit card points to pay for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but I just, I, I really love ice cream. Um, I've loved ice cream since I was a kid. I like, I used to have, I used to eat way too much ice cream. Like I would go through a half gallon in three days by myself. Kind of, I ate way too much ice cream. So I, I kind of now at the point where like I want to craft ice cream and, and kind of make my own small batches and that kind of stuff. Um, so for you, you know, when you're talking to clients and like, I could of course be like, no ice cream, like ice cream is terrible for me. I do reserve it for a weekend activity partially from time wise, but how do you fit that into like a healthy eating mentality for people that have had those restrictions? Yeah. Uh, it, it, like I said, it varies for everybody, but we work a lot on the, you know, what are those lists of foods that are forbidden to you? Because it's different for everybody. You know, you talk to somebody who can have 
a, you know, gallon of ice cream in their of their favorite ice cream in the fridge and it or the freezer and it stays there for months, right? Mm-hmm. You talk to somebody else who finds that they they have a bag of chips and it's gone in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work a lot on yeah, kind of you know establishing that trust and where do these beliefs come from of that if I that if I, if I eat this food it's going to be gone. Um, you hear a lot of this tip floating around of well if it's out of sight out of mind. That's great, but then what if what happens when it's insight, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then it's all you're focusing on. And so how can we start to just get that healthier relationship with food and and you know have have the foods there so that I almost start to look at all foods as neutral, right? Because mm-hmm. when it's when we can look at foods as neutral, then we can really start to make um, you know choices that that both make me feel good physically, but also are helpful to me mentally, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this kind of just, I had, I didn't look into the research on this um, to give you any stats. It, you just kind of like uh, pull this idea out of my head. Have you worked with anybody who like grew up in an environment that had a lot of food insecurity that didn't necessarily have, the, you know, that literally came from a place where like maybe their parents could only feed them twice a day or once a day or they didn't have food on the weekends i know you know uh, i live in kansas city and i you know i kind of grew up and live currently in you know very like mixed economic areas and, and you know i was friends with with people that kind of in that situation and it is a reality for some people um some escape it some don't you know have you worked with people the kind of lived in that environment and gone on, but then still, you know, kind of have that weighing them down. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's even a harder place to shift from because that's not necessarily just your belief. Like that's your value system, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your value system is, I appreciate, like I, you know, I have to clean the plate because I truly don't believe or, or feel that I may get enough at that next meal. And mm-hmm. It's amazing how much um, what what we learn, you know, in our environment growing up, um, what we had, what we didn't have, you know, the way we were talked to about food, um, the way we, you know, what kind of meals were were cooked around us, how much that can influence us as an adult. And so I do have um, quite a few clients who who prescribe to that, you know, clean plate club mentality mm-hmm. of like I've got to eat it all, you know, and really feel guilty regardless of the socio socioeconomic status that they're at now really hard to throw away food or really mm-hmm. hard to um you know feel feel safe and secure mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to food so yeah that's a tough one for sure yeah it's just i it, people come from all different backgrounds so it's just since these are the people you get to talk to it's like kind of curious, you know, how you deal with these different mentalities. I know um, my grandparents, because my father's older, lived through the Great Depression, mm-hmm. and they were farmers, so they know all about, like, food, you know, they knew all, they're no longer with us, they, they knew all about food and, like, not having enough, um, and that's kind of got passed on to my dad a little bit, though he he's not, he's not too bad, he didn't really pass it on to me, but mm-hmm. I do have a little bit of, kind of, like, first-hand experience with that like 
eat everything on your plate. Like, you know, don't don't waste anything kind of mentality. And that plagues a lot of people um, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I always, you know, tell people that, well, it's a waste either way, right? Right. It's a waste if you're if you're overeating to the point where you're uncomfortable and it's sending you down this you know, guilty spiral, it's a waste if you throw it away. So, um, that's definitely a process. And, and like we talked about, you know, takes practice, takes time of mm-hmm. learning to go. I have resources. I, I am lucky now, you know, or fortunate enough now that I have plenty of access to food that I, I don't have to eat it all right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about input, I know, I don't know if this was, I can't remember if this was a, a podcast or a, a blog post you did talking about um, social media and I think it was a podcast talking about your, basically your social media diet and wh- whether, you know, the people that you follow and the things that you see, whether that is, you know, a positive impact on your, you know, mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, is that... I want to dive into that a little bit more. Like, is that a matter of just thinking about yourself and like, you know, does this person affect me positively, negatively, or is it a matter of the environment as a whole, as in social media as a whole is relatively unhealthy. Um, I kind of isolate myself. I don't use social media that much. So mm-hmm. I, I don't have any, a lot of personal experience as far as like getting on Instagram and following people and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's, there's just so much on, in social media now, you know, that can influence us even, even on a subconscious level, Mm -hmm. you know, so in that podcast particular, you know, talking, asking people, you know, how do you feel when you see this girl in a bikini, you know, Mm -hmm. or this, this Instagram model, or, you know, there's a lot of fitness influencers who, you know, may not necessarily have uh, the background, but they've got a good body, you know, Mm -hmm. how does that make me feel? Is that, I think a lot of times people think we, we think, Oh, if I look at this, this certain body type or, um, physique, it's going to be motivating to me. And for some people, maybe, but for a lot of people, they find, I actually just feel worse about myself, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. that I'll never be that thin or I'll never have, you know, those types of muscles, things like that. Um, as well as, you know, when it comes to food too, what are you seeing on, on social media, does it make you feel bad about yourself? Does it educate you? Does it inspire you? Or is it um, having a negative effect? So that's kind of a good barometer, I guess you could say, to uh, to clean up your clean up your feed. Yeah. So it's really just like your approach is more think about your own kind of personal attitudes towards people, but not necessarily that like you know, Mark is a really negative person on social media. You got to get rid of him. And so is, you know, whoever, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily like that person in particular is bad. Although I'm sure there are bad actors, (laughs) but just that, you know, maybe like for my, like in my case, I've been trying to like work on having a a better diet to reduce like my body fat. I've never had a six pack. I've always Mm -hmm. been a very competitive athlete, but my diet's not been, I'll say optimized. Um, so that I can have a six pack. So like, say I'm seeing all these guys with six packs and then I'm like hating myself. So I need to get rid of them 
they're not necessarily bad people. Is that kind of the idea? Right. It's right. It's it's not a reflection on that person, but what is it that they're putting out there on social media? How how is it affecting me? Right. It's, it's not about them. It's not you. It's me. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Except it's that is the reality this time. It's not a compound. Yeah. Um, uh, with the time we have left, I do want to talk a little bit about. I like so you you kind of addressed uh, fad diets a little bit um, in some of your posts. I like the term diet cults. Um, who I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Fitzgerald, but I talked to him a few weeks ago. He's a sports journalist and author. He predominantly uh, writes books around running and endurance sports. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called Diet Cults. Um, I just like that term because uh, it seems to get to the, like the heart and the mentality of like it's almost like a religion. Like this is the thing that I do. Mm-hmm. And everything revolves around this. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I want to use an example. I actually know a lady who um, is one of the top influencers in the keto space. And mm-hmm. she has like one of the top selling keto recipe books right now. Very nice lady. Um, it's worked very well for her, at least from her kind of anecdotal standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, and feel free to correct me. It seems like you are not a big prescriber of diets. So how do you deal with that kind of dichotomy between like, say her, who's had seemingly pretty good success. Um, She's lost a lot of weight. She feels a lot better, all these kind of things on this particular diet. And then also kind of trying to reconcile that with your own philosophy. Yeah, no, I, I, I deal with that, um, that challenge, I guess, you know, every day, uh, for, do you mean, how do I, how do I deal with it personally? Like personally from a professional standpoint or yeah, like, like so, just so in general? Say, say, um, do you, do you say, okay, well, if, if it's working for you, it's okay. Or are you like, you know, I think uh, you could probably still incorporate some more foods or like say, say somebody's just dead set on a particular diet when they come to you, like, how do you deal with and, they, yeah. and say they've had success with it, you know, how do they, how do you kind of approach that mentality? Right. No, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, I mean, I actually, I, I have clients who, who do, who do keto, you know, it's not that I'm, um, I think, you know, understanding that non-diet isn't necessarily anti-diet, if okay. that makes sense. Okay. Right. Like, so part of my role is that, you know, if somebody comes to me really fired up about, you know, let's, let's use keto as an example, they've done the research, they've seen, you know, that it's helped other people and they want to, they want to explore it. They want to try it, you know, with my background in nutrition, I understand I, I can help anybody with any type of, you know, disease management, whether it's renal, whether it's, you know, they've got, like you said, they've got different energy requirements, whatever it is. But helping that person become the expert of, okay, what are the pros and cons of, of eating this type of way? Does it, mm-hmm. what is it that makes you feel good about it? You know, but um, how does, you know, for example, we'll use that example, keto. How is that affecting you when you go out to eat? Are you, do you find that it's a real stress when you go um, out to eat in a social setting? Do you find... Mm-hmm a lot of guilt if you do eat too many carbohydrates or things like that. So for me, it's really getting to the root of the, um, how is the, the way you're eating affecting you, all these other aspects of your life? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Um, I think to me, the word diet is just the way you eat, right? It's, it's not you're on a diet. It's not you're off a diet. It's right. just 
that's just a snapshot of the way you eat in in this time. Okay. Okay. As I said, it's just it's just one of those things. Since like um, I'll kind of I'll paraphrase Matt. Um, he kind of is. He prescribes. Yeah, he's not a registered dietitian, but um, his opinion in his book um, is he prescribes. What is what did he call it? Uh, agnostic healthy eating, where it's like kind of it's kind of the idea about intuitive eating, like eat things mm-hmm. that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Don't try to prescribe, you know, one this very rigid. You can only have rice on Tuesdays at noon because <laughs> it's you know like that kind of mentality. Getting out of that. So right. it's, uh, I always like to ask, you know, the professionals, um, you know, how you deal with that, since I know that. As an entrepreneur, you know, you learn about marketing, you learn about the psychology of selling things. And there are times, especially in the food industry, when, you know, the kind of dark side of marketing comes out and and foods that aren't necessarily the best for people are pushed and successfully because you Mm -hmm. have good marketers working behind them. So it's like it's almost your job to kind of like try to unravel some of of that (laughs) stuff with all the things you've learned. I always say it's it's job security, you know. So, yeah. so for me, what I do is, you know, when I when I find myself like, oh, it's it's that comparison, you know, mm-hmm. my compare comparing my success to somebody else. It's for me, I I put my blinders on, and it, as long as I can go to bed and put my head down on the pillow at night, knowing that I've done what feels right to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I've helped my clients in a way that I feel that is. I'm going to help them be- help serve them best and not cause any more harm Then for me, I, that helps me sleep at night. And, um, at the same time, keeps me motivated and, and passionate about continuing the work that I do, despite mm-hmm. how, how challenging it, it can be. Because when, when I have somebody who does have that aha moment and goes, Oh my gosh, I ate this or, you know, I didn't think so much about food today. And, you know, I'm at I'm at my lowest weight ever, Mm -hmm. but I'm not obsessed with food as much anymore. Like for me, that moment of seeing people have kind of that aha moment, like it's the most rewarding work. That's, that's, that's always great to hear. It's like the the subjective approach to your own practice, not just the subjective approach of like, you know, how do I get people to think intuitively and feel intuitively about their own body, but then your own internal system of like, I need to keep my own like moral barometer or moral compass in check. Right. Um, yeah. I'll nerd out a little bit. Have you read uh, any John Stuart Mill? Like I on have Liberty? Not. Okay. I have not. So this is, this is required reading <laughs> for us at college. <laughs> and he, so he, it, it's a very thin book. It's about a hundred pages long, but it is uh-huh. very dense in that his sentences are sometimes half a page. Um, <laughs> But he in that in it he prescribes this kind of utilitarian thought where he talks about the harm principle, which I, I'm a big fan of. And it's basically like as long as you're not harming anybody else, um, then do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know. And it kind of sounds like you have a similar kind of idea when you said, you know, as long as I feel okay when I go to sleep at night, I can get sleep. I'm not restless knowing that I didn't do anything harmful to somebody right um but that's okay so I, I like that guiding principle so it's just i'm always curious when it comes up if anybody is like was introduced to it via mill or whether it kind of just 
kind of came up in life. It was so good that it's just gotten spread, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So something like that. Um, So here we are at the end. I'm going to ask you, so this season, I'm asking everybody the same question. It's particularly prescient for you and all the dietitians I get to talk to. Um, I ask everybody on the athletic side or exercise side, um, post-workout, if you can only choose one food for recovery for the rest of your life, what do you choose? Oh, that's so tough. Um, you know, you always hear that chocolate milk's like the perfect, uh, mm. carb to protein ratio, right. but, oh my gosh, what do I like to eat post-workout for me? It's like a meal. Like, like I just want a meal, usually a sandwich because <laughs> you get a little bit of carbs, you get your protein from, um, the meat and then avocado for a little bit of fat. Okay. That's tough. I don't know. One meal. That's like, uh, that's like picking your favorite like, child. Like the, t- well, sometimes you can have a favorite <laughs> child. It's, you're not supposed to, but we know what happens. So I'll say, yeah, either, either chocolate milk or like an actual meal, like a, like a good solid plate balanced meal with a little bit of crunch, a little bit of hot, a little bit of cold protein, okay. fat and carb, all of it. it. See, it also, it seems like people will answer um, the vast majority of people I talk to will answer with like a comfort food, uh-huh. and then like the more professionals, like like you, will go with what the, the extra the other the kind of answer we would expect. Although um, this may make you feel good, Nancy did say chocolate milk, which that episode will come out on Friday, so nobody knows. You'll know right now, but nobody else knows <laughs> besides me. It's, uh, for it's right much now, cheaper so. too. It's much cheaper than your your fancy um, protein shakes and all that. It's also delicious. And delicious. The protein yeah. isn't depending on the blood you get is not always <laughs> the best taste. Um, Katie, if people want to see see you, follow you, get in touch with you, listen to your podcast, where do they go? How how do they find you? Yeah, so the the podcast is Fit Friends Happy Hour, uh, but you can find me. I like to hang out on Instagram at KT Hake, or they can just go to my website, um, www.katiehake.com. Sounds good. Thanks so much for coming on today. It's, It's really been fun talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. Take care.